Greetings, Pear Shorpins and Retrogrades. Happy February. I'm going to talk about the difference between January and February at the start of today's show. It's February the 1st. Aside from what it means every year, I'm also going to talk about why today is special as concerns the Catholic world, particularly that of the Catholic publishing world. It's the official day of release for this book, Ask Your Husband. We already had the release party, so we're not tending to that today because people were getting their books the last couple of days. But you know what? Ask Your Husband is out now. It's creating a big splash. Get your copy on Amazon today. I urge you in the counter-revolution against all these crazy feminists to buy in tandem these two new books, his and hers, and they're both eminently readable from the cross-dressing perspective. A woman can read The Case for Patriarchy and get so much out of it. A man, as many men have already written us, can read Ask Your Husband, whose release date it is, February the 1st today, and get a lot out of it. For our patrons... Steph has inscribed and signed some of these. I think it was 10, if I'm remembering correctly. God save the patriarchy, she writes, in this copy. It's really exciting, as you can imagine, to have a book out and have the release day and have it go off without a hitch. Today, I'm going to be talking about another recent uh, blasphemy by Pope Francis, a blasphemy specifically against the theology of property and the individual in the church. And I'm going to be quoting from my first book, Catholic Republic, because I have this all categorized so nicely there. So I'm going to be quoting from this one. So it, 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 I'm pulling from a, a jumble of Gordon books because it's the release party of Ask Your Husband. We're only four months after the release of The Case for Patriarchy. Buy them together. This is the full-blown attack on feminism between Steph's book and my book. Go buy them together at Amazon today. But I'll tell you something else. Just yesterday, the last day of January, my co-author on my forthcoming book this summer, it's on Regnery. I mean, they're going to push very hard, the biggest conservative publisher in the world. It's called Don't Go to College. We spent the last month here in Mississippi writing together. My co-author, Dr. Michael Robillard, is from Massachusetts, and he and I together joined forces to get our chapters together, and that was, that was quite a thing. So it felt like a big, you know, we drove him to the airport in New Orleans yesterday. It felt like a big push to get out of the month of January, which I feel every year, I think I inherited this from my, my mother, just a hatred of the month of January. Sorry, January birthdays. It's cold. It's dark. It's winter without the light of Christmas in front of you. That's behind you. And it's just a, it's a bad time. February, January is my least favorite month. We always celebrate in my household to get to February the 1st. Much better times ahead. The, the recent memory of, of Christmas is now a pleasant memory, right? Uh, softening, softening the mind. But it's, it's not a painful memory, whereas Christmas is a painful short-term memory by New Year's and, and much of the first half of January. So I'm just always happy to get out of January. I'm happy to be through all the hardcore writing I was doing in January with Dr. Michael Robillard. And our book is now mostly complete. We have about a week and a half left before our deadline to Regnery. That'll be my fourth book. 
And I'm always happy to get out of January because January is the worst month. But I tell you what, with all these books, I'm, we're going to get to the topic here. I was just waxing philosophical about what it is to write books as an author. I've had one come out each of the last three years. 2019, Catholic Republic was republished by uh, Sophia. It had been published in 2018 by Milo. So, so you know. That, that keeps the streak one year longer. 2018, first published Catholic Republic with Milo. The re-edit, the republish by um, Sophia of this book, which I'm going to be quoting from. Then 2020, I had, uh, I don't have a copy here, Rules for Retrogrades. 2021, I had Case for Patriarchy. I have been so busy. And then 2022, at the end of this summer, we're going to have Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution. It's not what you think it is. It's not a, an education book. It's a revolution book. Mark my words. It's going to be a big deal. Probably see it on Fox News. Um, so writing a book, having a book come out each of the last four years, arguably five, if you count the Milo version of my first book, it's really difficult. And now Steph knows. Is it hard to write a book, Steph? Very hard. <laughs> That's it, why it took me two years to do it. <laughs> it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's sweat equity, whatever you will. And once you have it done, look at this beautiful thing. Look at this beautiful thing. For people to buy, if it's been well done, it is just, it is a real accomplishment. And for someone like me, who's a multimedia guy, I, I never talk autobiographically so much, but for a multimedia guy, a lot of days I'm writing that. I'm working on doctoral work that I'm doing on the side. I don't talk too much about. I teach my classes, which I'm going to teach my constitution class later tonight. And then I squeeze in a podcast three times a week. So it is a multimedia life. When I spoke to Matt Schlapp and Deal Hudson on Friday, I said, Matt, you're the multimedia king because I've seen you everywhere over the last five years, always in the White House, it seems. But I, I, I'm not multimedia king, but I'm multimedia guy as well. It's a multimedia life, isn't it? Writing books, teaching online classes, learning in online classes, and of course, then podcasting. What a what a thing! Now, t if you want to support us, having said all of that, buy our books. Ask your husband. Release date: buy the case for patriarchy. The release date: buy Catholic Republic. I'm going to remind you why it's so relevant in today's show. And also, support us on Patreon. That's the most direct way to support us in a rolling monthly way. Timothy J. Gordon Patreon page. Okie doke. So here's Francis's latest outrage. It's up on Breitbart yesterday. This comes directly from the last day of the worst month of the year, January. This is a, a recent story. And the Breitbart article is entitled Pope Francis, colon, taxation is an important tool for wealth redistribution. I'm going to, in today's show, give you four reasons why this is a more or less defide breach of Catholic teaching. It is just totally wrong, totally against Catholic teaching, totally unsupportable. Wealth redistribution is a grave evil, meaning it's a collective mortal sin. It's unacceptable from Thomas Aquinas uh, to Augustine, uh, Leo Thirteenth to Pius XI, from Augustine's day in the 5th century to the 20th century and the 19th century, Leo and, and Pius XI. It's just not allowed. And 
of course, that's never stopped Pope Francis. It's never stopped him before. If you can give communion to the civilly divorced and remarried, then you can do anything. Uh, here's, here's the first few paragraphs of the Breitbart article. I'll link it uh, in the show notes. Pope Francis met with a delegation from Italy's Internal Revenue Service Monday, praising them for their work and holding up taxation as a necessary tool for redistribution. He's presupposing, and he says it a few times, but he's presupposing in this first paragraph that redistribution is a good thing rather than a grave evil, a mortal sin. Modern tax collectors are often looked upon with suspicion, just as they were in the times of Jesus, the pontiff said. But they provide an essential service to the common good by redistributing wealth. A certain culture of suspicion can unfortunately extend to those who enforce the laws, Francis said. Yet this is a fundamental task because legality protects everyone and is a guarantee of equality. Laws make it possible to maintain a principle of fairness. The principle of fairness, basic, basic philosophy 101, political philosophy 101. Fairness is in tension with equality. Equality is never fair. Fairness is meritocracy. Equality of outcome means everyone gets the same thing and you, you, you're saying to hell with fairness, right? This guy is going to sit on his hands and collect a welfare check all day. This guy chose to work 80 hours a month to provide extra for his family. It's unfair to be equal. Basic distinction from Aristotle onward incorporated all into the Catholic political tradition. No reasonable argument here. Distributionism, redistributionism is wrong. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll pull the hard quotes for you today. This is not arguable. It's a fundamental task because legality protects everyone as a guarantee of equality. Laws, Pope Francis says, make it possible to maintain a principle of fairness where the logic of interest generates inequalities. So he's holding up equality versus inequality as a bad-good dichotomy. It is a bad-good dichotomy. Do you know what Aristotle, Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas says about equality? They say equalizing everything is a grave evil as well. Not just redistributing property, but equalization, known as egalitarianism, is a moral evil. It is a French Revolution slash Marxist moral evil. It is a Luciferian moral evil. People are not all of equal talent. People are not of all equal station. I'll prove that to you in four points once I get through this. Legality, Pope Francis added, in the fiscal area is a way to balance social relations, removing forces from corruption, injustice, and equality. But this requires some education and cultural change. See this total Obama in cultural change, remaking America, remaking the world, you know, one world government. We know Francis supports this, even though every once in a while he hedges his bets. And, um, you know, universal basic income, climate stuff, COVID stuff. He wants it all to support cultural change. And by cultural change, he means the Aristotomist Catholic culture of each getting his due. The basic definition of justice. And he doesn't like that culture of justice that the Aristotelian West has stood on for almost two and a half millennium. As is often said, Pope Francis says, people who often see the tax system as reaching into its hands, uh, 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 often see the tax system as reaching its hands into their pockets. In reality, he declared, taxation is a sign of legality and justice. It must promote the redistribution of wealth, 
protecting the dignity of the poor and the least, who always risk being crushed by the powerful. Taxation, when it is, a, it, when it is right, is a function of the common good. Now, that, Thomas will say that, too. He gives only two reasons for taxation. Supporting wars and supporting the paychecks of politicians for prosecuting criminals. Policing and war. Very cheap. Not for wealth redistribution, which is evil, as I will show you shortly. Let us work, Pope Francis says, to increase the culture of the common good so that the universal destination of goods is taken seriously. He misunderstands the common good and universal destination of good. Uh, so he, he goes on to say, your work appears thankless to the, the tax collectors of Italy. Um, alongside the cases of tax evasion payments under the table and widespread illegality, you would recount the honesty of many good people who do not shirk their duty and pay their dues, thus contributing to the common good. The question is, what is your fair share? Remember the Obama era of America, the beginning of the end? Pay your fair share. Who's to determine that? Well, the Catholic tradition is rather specific about that. Okay, and then he goes on to, to conclude his remarks on the scourge of tax evasion. Okay, so you don't hear this too often. What I'm going to give you today on rules for retrogrades, parish orphans, retrogrades, this is one of the rules for you. And it's not one of the rules appearing in my second book because that wasn't about, you know, redistribution being wrong, even though it's implied. This is from Catholic Republic. All of these Augustine, Aquinas, Leonine, Pius quotes, Bellarmine, School of Salamanca, Juan de Mariana, all of these guys are strongly against egalitarianism. So the first big principle is that egalitarianism is evil, and there are several ways to show this, okay? It, um, I think you're going to enjoy reading how that works. So in Aristotle, who comes before Augustine by 700 years, uh, and Augustine does not have access to Aristotle because the works of Aristotle will be lost until a couple hundred years before Aquinas' day. But so you have Aristotle, 350 years before Jesus, Augustine a little more than 350 years after Jesus, and then, um, you know, Aquinas nearly a millennium after Augustine, all agreeing. Aristotle writes, awards should be according to merit. For all men agree that what is just in distribution, he calls this distributive justice, must be according to merit in some sense. Proportional justice. Now, so that's Aristotle. He's more or less philosophically Catholic because we've incorporated him, root and branch, into our metaphysics, our physics, our philosophy of nature, our logic, and our ethics. But he's not namely Catholic. So what do the Catholics say? Well, here on page 45 of Catholic Republic, I say both saints uh, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas follow Aristotle by acknowledging that a government that overtakes its citizens immediately becomes a thief. A thief. This comes from Augustine by a system of aggressive redistributive taxation, which they didn't even know. They were just imagining it in their day. A thief. Can you imagine? Thomas says this, in uh, De uh, Regimine Principum, he writes the following, and, and Augustine writes in uh, City of God, chapter 19. I'll, I'll give you Augustine first, because people don't associate me with Augustine. I don't quote Augustine nearly so often. 
Augustine writes, <clears throat> justice is defined considering the disposition of equal and unequal things, giving to each what it deserves. What this means is that it's an unjust thing to make equal things unequal as it is to make unequal things equal. This basic Aristotelian point that Augustine gets without even reading Aristotle. Aquinas will write the following. Um, further, nature does not, this is in De Regimine Principum, chapter 4. Further, nature does not fail in necessities, as I have said above, and therefore neither does the art of civil government. But this would happen if possessions were equalized among families, because citizens would die of penury, which would lead to the corruption of the polity. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. Um, if possessions were equalized among families, dot, 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 it would lead to a corruption of the polity. So this is a sort of practical ill effect, according to Thomas Aquinas in De Regimine Principum, of egalitarianism at the level of property, redistribution. All you people that like the idea of Catholic distributing, uh, it's wrong, according to Thomas, Aristotle, Augustine. If those three guys say it and they agree on something, you can take it to the bank. If possessions were equalized among the families, it would lead to a corruption of the polity. A corruption of the heart of the re polity means republic. Aquinas liked three forms of government, kings, aristocrats, and republics. And each three had a perverted form when things were disposed of wrongly. He says it would kill the third form, a polity, if you redistributed wealth. Now I'm going to tell you why in a second when we get to the second principle. But this first principle, which proves Pope Francis is wrong, is that egalitarianism is evil. Now, using another principle, uh, also beginning with Augustine, uh, sorry, with Aristotle. Aristotle, Aquinas, Augustine. We got three A's. Most important philosophical thinkers for the you know, first 1,500 years of the church, forever. Aristotle lists, and Aquinas explicitly incorporates as one of the natural virtues of the Nicomachean Ethics in Book 4 of the Nicomachean Ethics. I'm doing this from, from memory because I, I know that book better than any of these other books I'm pulling from. There's a virtue called magnificence. Magnificence means an artful display of one's excess wealth. It's related to another virtue called liberality. Now, even a poor person is called to be liberal with their wealth. It doesn't mean left-right liberal. It means um, you help others. You share the appropriate amount of your wealth. Not too much. You die of penury, but not too little. You'd die um, um, you know, an old miser and you'd go to hell. So a poor person, a middle-class person, a rich person, according to liberality, should share. Share and share alike according to the proportion of wealth that they have. On the other hand, only oh, there are only a few virtues like this that only some are capable of. Only the rich are capable of a virtue that Aristotle mentions called magnificence. And this is an artful expenditure of one's excess wealth whereby, like the governor, if the governor has um, a house, it ought to be 
something like a mansion. It is actually a duty. And, and Aquinas affirms this in his, I have his lengthy commentary on the uh, Nicomachean Ethics. He affirms it, both Aristotle and Aquinas say so, because egalitarianism is wrong. There are natural sorts. There are natural kinds, which will be reflected in rules two and three as well. Of folks, we're not all the same. We're utterly different from one another. We share a species. We are the rational animal. But we are utterly different. Different mental gifts, different physical, uh, different bodily blessings and abilities and looks. Some people are better looking than others. Different physical gifts from the perspective of that which is bestowed on us wealth-wise. And neither God nor God's nature intended for this to be redistributed. Everyone should exist according to his station. So it is an advice, according to Aristotle and Thomas, for an aristocrat, or say the governor, not to keep enough of his wealth in order to make it clear that he had, like, a, like have a governor's mansion. This is the example that always comes up in Aristotle. Such as to show the rest. It stands for something. It's political symbolic speech. It stands for some order in the society, and it gives hope to the, the polis, and it also inspires. So magnificence is the proof in Book 4 of the Nicomachean Ethics, and Aquinas' embrace of it in his commentary on Aristotle's Ethics, that egalitarianism is pure evil, along with Thomas's quote, which I just read you from, from a different text, that equalizing, egalitarianizing, the, the, the Q becomes a G as Latin moves to English, egalitarianizing would lead to a corruption of the polity. It is a disorder of nature. Nature is not, does not create us all the same. And again, you get this understanding from Francis's inversion as we finish this first principle that egalitarianism is evil, his inversion of the um, typical dichotomy of fairness and equality. In Aristotle's book five of the Nicomachean Ethics, gives a little discourse on money, which Aquinas also accepts. And there, we have something called the dichotomy between arithmetic proportion, this means everyone gets equal shares, exactly, equality of outcome, and geometric proportion. This is people get an equal opportunity, but will wind up with different shares of whatever the prize is. Here it's wealth. Geometric proportion corresponds to certain kinds of law, distributive kinds of law, and arithmetic proportion only corresponds to rectificatory law. We want even a poor man and a rich man Pap Finn, the worst man in town, and uh, Judge Thatcher, the best man in town, to have the same trial, because it's not impossible for Pap Finn to do good, just as it's not impossible, although it's unlikely, for Judge Thatcher to do bad. They should be judged according to a blind justice. That's arithmetic proportion. That's dividing everything perfectly equally. But for distributive justice, this means how to decide who gets what, it should be meritocratic. It will be geometric proportion. In Aristotle, Aquinas accepts this. Now, um, Augustine will talk, last point on egalitarianism, is the state becoming a thief. 
For his own part, Augustine asks, this is also, this is from page 46 of Catholic Republic. If justice is taken away, what are kingdoms but massive robberies? He's talking about taxation, the kind of taxation that evil Pope Francis is endorsing. Okay, so this is a big deal. Listen to this. There's a difference between citizens, just as there's between members of a body. Here's the most anti-egalitarian thing I can find in Aquinas. I've already read you some. To which Thomas compared a polity above. I, Thomas, compared a polity above. Moreover, the virtue and function of different members is different. Um, it, it follows that the equalization of possessions is unsuitable from a consideration of the gradation of personages as well as from human nature. He means the gradation. Some are more gifted. They should have more. Some are less gifted. They should have less. It is well known, says Thomas, that, that someone who is noble must make greater expenditures than one who is not noble. And it is for this reason. He's talking about um, the virtue of magnificence that he endorses in another text, his commentary on uh, Aristotle. For example, that the virtue of liberality is called magnificence in a ruler on account of the great cost involved. This could not happen where possessions were equal. And then he cites Matthew chapter 25 verse 15 about the talents. This is the best way to rebuff Pope Francis today. I mean, I've given you 10 already and this is all within the first of four reasons egalitarianism is evil this is the first i'm going to give you three other reasons but go to matthew chapter 25 verse 15 i'll, I'll read it for you though I, I i didn't have it up matthew verse 25 oh, sorry chapter 25 verse 15 let me get this puppy going i'm just dumping everything in i wasn't originally going to do it but now i'm like this is this needs to be squashed here's 15 and unto one he gave five talents. You know this one. To another, two talents. And to another, just one talent. To every man according to his several ability. Several means individual. Some people get five. Some people get two. Some people get one. We're not talking specifically about wealth. We're talking about the kind of personal aggregated wealth of talent, good looks, muscular ability. Not everyone can play in the Super Bowl. Not everyone will have as much monetary wealth and straight away he took his journey then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents and likewise he that had received two he also gained two but he that received one who's the bad guy the poor guy is the good guy here uh, the bad guy the poor guy is the bad guy here in in verse 18 matthew chapter 25 verse 18 he that had received only one went and digged in the earth and he hid his lord's money after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained thee five more. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He that had received two has the same story. The Lord says the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm trying to run through this because we got lots. Then, verse 24, he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown 
and gathering where thou hast not strawed. This, this sounds like wealth redistribution. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there hast thou that is mine, that is thine. Uh, he's given him the one back, making no money on it. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. So he takes from the poor and gives to the rich in Jesus' parable here. Because the poor in this parable and often in our day of welfare, which is a Luciferian tool. Don't listen to Pope Francis. It's a Luciferian tool. It makes the poor expectant and greedy and lazy. And the rich often, not always, but often are doing their part, pulling their fair share, doing what the Lord wants of them. Productivity. Now, a lot of there's a lot of exceptions to this. I don't have to tell you that, but you're kind of trained the other way. So Matthew 25, 15 obliterates Francis's point here. Okay, now the necessity of property in Thomas having a, is the second reason Pope Francis is wrong here. Now, I'm going to read you a passage which in conjunction with what I read you about the fact that redistribution of property leads to a corruption in polity in the polity which thomas wrote elsewhere you should understand wow this necessity of property in thomas means the necessity of working for and laboring for and getting property for one and one's family on one's own very very clear here property is lawful for a man Sorry, it is lawful for a man to hold property, and it is also necessary for the carrying on of human existence, writes Thomas. Uh, Summa Theologiae, second part of the second part, question 66. Also indispensable, this is my writing on page 52 of Catholic Republic, also indispensable for Thomas was personal financial property ownership. In fact, he repeats Augustine's rule of thumb instead of the manner in which the state can so easily become a robber. Thomas quotes Augustine here, if justice is taken away, what are kingdoms but massive robberies? It becomes a robber if its laws restrict private property rights, the way Francis is admonishing. Uh, in Law, Morality, and Politics, Thomas continues, to take other, this is a direct quote from Aquinas, to take other people's property violently and against justice in the exercise of public authority is to act unlawfully and to be guilty, the state, be guilty of robbery. Thomas Aquinas is a small government, non-interventionist political thinker. I say, of course, he offers the caveat that if rulers exact from the subjects what is due to them, and I said this when I was reading Francis's taxation quotes, injustice in order to maintain the common good, there is no robbery. I continue here on page 53 of Catholic Republic. So the key question is, what public roles would qualify for Thomas as satisfying the common good in present-day America. Not many. Here's how I'll evidence this. As noted above, the common good would seem to require only the partial and, uh, sorry, the martial and police powers of the state. Thomas writes, this is where I get that from, 
public authority is committed to rulers in order that they may safeguard justice. You already knew that. And so they are permitted to use force and coercion. That's what redistribution is. It's both force and coercion. Only in the course of justice, whether in wars against enemies or in punishing civilian criminals. He doesn't say, oh, for the purpose of Luciferian egalitarianism, which would contradict all of his philosophy, social philosophy, Thomas's, or all of Aristotle's. So he knows you know it's wrong to redistribute wealth for the sake of trying to struggle after some John Lennon, imagine alternate reality where everyone has equality of outcome. We believe in fairness, we Catholics, because of Thomas and Aristotle and Bellarmine and the Salamanca and the good Jesuits. Okay, now let us go to reason number three, the necessity of property in Thomas and some of the uh, uh, the points we pulled in from point number one, egalitarianism is evil, right? That's, that's point number two, the necessity of property in Thomas. Now we go to point number three. Well, how do we know Francis is wrong, that redistribution is evil? Because of the clear... 19th and 20th century teachings by the popes in what are considered uh, two most important, the, the two most important Catholic social teaching encyclicals of all time, both of which are considered part of the magisterium because they've been repeated so often, because they repeat what Thomas is saying here. Whether it's popularly emphasized much or not, I write in Catholic Republic, Catholic teaching in the famous encyclical Rerum Novarum by Pope Leo XIII, 1891, tracks Thomas Aquinas' quote above very closely. Here's, here it is. Private ownership, as we have seen, is the natural right of man, and to exercise that right, especially as members of society, is not only lawful, but absolutely necessary. Now, Leo XIII is credited with making private property modifying it a little bit, making it a natural right, making it part of the natural law. Aquinas actually thought it was a necessary corollary of natural reason required by the natural law ubiquitously, but uh, Aquinas, because he, he provides no room for exceptions within the natural law or natural rights, he, he has it as like one half step removed from a natural right, an always necessary right corresponding to the reasonable dictates of natural law. That's what it is for Thomas. Leo XIII goes more, I don't know what you want to call it, proprietarian, libertarian, whatever, and he actually is the first to call private property a natural right. Thomas Aquinas is 99% of the way there. I wrote a paper on this recently. Um, immediately after this passage in Rerum, the famous encyclical repeats Thomas's above words. By the way, if you like this, this is Catholic Republic. I'm reading from my first book. Get this on Amazon today. Taken together, um, all this underscores the Catholic call to public aid, not by heavy taxation, but by private charity instead. The same paragraph in Rerum Navarum refines this concept even further. Remember, the more you're taxed, the less good people give away in charitable donations. The more they give away in charitable donations, the less they have to be taxed on. Here's Rerum. Whoever is received from the divine bounty, I want you to really listen. I think this is the most compelling point Leo XIII makes in this giant encyclical on property rights. 
Whoever has received from the divine bounty a large share of temporal blessings, listen to how he stipulates here, whether they be external and material or gifts of the mind, which by definition, gifts of the mind cannot be taxed. He might as well have said gifts of the body. If, you're, if, you, if you've got the athleticism of Patrick Mahomes, every other quarterback in the world wants this, right? You can't tax that. You can't redistribute Patrick Patrick Mahomes' ability, the gifts of the mind of Aquinas himself, the smartest human ever to live. You can't tax that and redistribute it. So it proves the point when he analogizes that to the gifts, the blessings of the bounty, of wealth. He's saying those shouldn't be taxed either redistributively. Whoever has all this has received them for the purpose of using them for the perfecting of his own nature to even your wealth should be used to perfect your own nature. That's important. And at the same time, that he may employ them as the steward of God's providence for the benefit of others. This is not being taxed. This is the stands for the proposition here. The less I'm taxed, I move to a state where I'm, I'm really left alone mostly. I have had more opportunity over the last year and a half since I've been here in Mississippi and blessed by the Lord to help people where I see need, okay? And I, I wasn't, when I lived in California, I was more beset by taxes at every turn, every street corner. Tax, 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 higher cost of living. I couldn't give as much away. Okay, so it's a very, very real point that Leo makes here in uh, a, a few different paragraphs in Rerum Navam. But the main one I want to point out is this point here, the, the prefatory clause of this sentence, it proves the point. Whoever has received from the divine bounty a large share of temporal blessings, whether they're external and material, or like, like have a lot of money, or whether the gifts of the mind has received them for the purpose, blah, blah, blah. You see what? You can't tax gifts of the mind. You can't tax gifts of the body. All you can tax, theoretically, if you're evil, if you're a Marxist, like Pope Francis, all you can redistribute is wealth. And since gifts like wealth are being likened at every turn in the 2,000-year tradition of the Catholic teaching on what to do with the disparity of wealth. Some people have more, some people have less. The disparity of physical blessings. Some people are good-looking, some people aren't. We should treat them the same. And that's what Augustine, Aquinas, Aristotle have said at every turn. And Leo Thirteenth just makes it, he takes it, he goes even more in the direction of extreme property-style libertarian. Not a moral libertarian, but property and contract non-interventionist at government. Leo Thirteenth is extreme that way. He takes Thomas's teachings on property even further. And the final way that I would prove, the fourth and final way I would prove that Francis is wrong in the Breitbart article I read you today is by recourse to Quadragesimo Anno, which is a 1931 papal encyclical from Pius XI. It literally means 40, 40th year, 40 years later, after Rerum Novarum, and he's writing it in celebration of Rerum Novarum. JP2 will write one called um, Centesimus Anus, same deal, 100th year after Rerum, and he celebrates it, and he says a lot of 
very pro-individual property rights things there that you can't mess with them. The state can't mess with them to redistribute. You know, everyone gets three acres and a mule. Well, who are you taking that land from? Everyone doesn't have three acres and a mule right now, G.K. Chesterton. Who the hell are you taking that land from? Why will they never say? Well, it turns out G.K. Chesterton's buddy, his buddy, uh, uh, Hilaire Belloc, admits it in a couple places. We like the French Revolution, he says. You do have to take it through force. It's a superstition against force, uh, Belloc says. Belloc will say it where Chesterton won't. I think both of them were in the Fabian Society, so, so all this makes sense. The red pill on Chesterton's teaching is he was in the Fabian Society, and uh, you just got to go Thomas Aquinas, Aristotle. That's the real Catholic teaching. And you got you to gotta consult the Catholic magisterium. Not everything written by a, a famous Catholic writer or theologian is part of the magisterium. Thomas and Aristotle are, they got incorporated by Leo XIII and Pius. Here's what Pius says. It's beautiful because he brings all these straws together from my first three arguments against Francis. He, with this one or two quotes, he brings together reason number one, Francis is wrong because egalitarianism is evil. Reason number two, private property rights are necessary to the individual. And by a right, we mean unless there's real exigent need, it's yours wrong for an individual or the state to take it number three what i just quoted in rerum but here quadragesimo puts it all together masterfully in a fourth counter argument whatever you call it the idea of subsidiarity this is the fourth reason you can't take away from some and give to others because of subsidiarity it entails forfeiting to government only those powers that cannot be accomplished by individuals i'm on page 88 in catholic republic the rest of the power should be left for individuals in the form of family decision-making, patriarchal family decision-making, and local rule. Pope Pius XI formally coined the term subsidiarity in 1931 in the encyclical Quadragesimo Anno. In that encyclical, Pius expressed that just as it is gravely wrong to take from individuals what they can accomplish by their own initiative and industry and give it to the community, so also it is an injustice and a grave evil, grave evil to do both of these things. Take away from individuals and give to the community, redistribution, which Francis wants to do, grave evil. So also it is a grave evil and disturbance of right order to assign to a greater and higher association, meaning governor, government level, what lesser and subordinate organizations, levels of government can do. Do you see the analogy? And this is, if you want to look it up, you want to check me, Official Catholic teaching, part of the magisterium. This is paragraph number 79 in Quadragesimo Anno. Pius XI takes all three of the counterarguments and he synthesizes them into one by this one masterful analogy. Here's what he says. Just as it's wrong to take from an individual his property and redistribute it to other individuals in society, so also, it's a mortal sin, gravely wrong, to take from a one local government, which is similar to the individual, and to give it to a bigger, further away branch of government. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you can't redistribute uh, uh, an individual's wealth forcefully, according to Pius XI. 
And you should not take what is a local power of, I don't know, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, like, yeah, we should make it illegal to have tranny reading hour. You shouldn't take that legislative domain and take it at the federal level. It should be done here. It should be up, up to us. Okay? So that's the quadragesimo argument. This is called the subsidiarity argument for property. And it is really convincing. Although it was Pope Pius XI who gave the concept of subsidiarity its name, it was Pope Leo XIII, 40 years earlier, who had distilled Aquinas's political philosophy and the concept later known as subsidiarity. In fact, Pius heavily quoted Leo's earlier encyclical, Rerum, um, which itself, Rerum itself just quoted Thomas. All of this also means something important that is a corollary of, do you believe in property rights? The child belongs to the father, not the state. An Aristotelian thing. A Thomistic thing. It's a big deal. Upon those six short words rests the entire basis of Catholic subsidiarity. The child belongs to the father, not the state, so the father should decide what kind of society he's growing up in. Are you going to go to the library? Well... No, this is why localism matters. We're going to make it illegal to have tranny reading hour at the library. I'm your father because I'm your father and my main job is getting you into heaven, not having you corrupted. Should not be up to the state to decide to educate my kid. Because education is first and foremost moral. It's up to me to educate my kid and therefore I need to have power with all the other fathers over the local laws. I don't care if they have tranny reading hour in New York. Sorry. Sorry, Sir Abamari. In New York, you're going to be outnumbered. This is nature. This is Catholic teaching. This is subsidiarity. If you go to a place with a bunch of radical apparatchik transsexualists, you're going to be surrounded. Get some place where you're in the majority. Then fight for that place. Hold on to it. Guard your borders. Don't let, don't let outsiders, outlanders in. This is natural law. This is subsidiarity. This is how it works. You can't go to, I don't know, San Francisco and expect, it would be awesome if someone did it forcefully, the way the Muslims do. But until you do that, it's unreasonable to expect you're going to go there and, and you know have it, the crowds cheering for you as you read Quadragesim Moana or Rerum Navarum. Get to a place where there's a reasonable crowd. This is what a res publica is, a republic. Set up shop there. Don't let anyone with conflicting ideas in, because that's not a republic. And then you govern locally as a father with your neighbor who's also a father, with your neighbor across the street who's also a father, with the guy from across the town who's also a father. Now you can, with the force of law, I don't just mean as fathers. I mean, with the force of law, you and these other guys in your neighborhood or town can make it illegal in your neighborhood or town to tax too high and redistribute wealth. This goes further, though. Also, to have tranny reading hour. To do whatever you want to do locally is the reason. But, but Pius XI makes this beautiful analogy that um, governing is locally and it's better done than federal governing or global governing, for the same reason, or in an analogous way, to the fact that you can't take, it's a mortal sin to take from one guy and give it to other guys. Francis is a 
is a Marxist, though. Whether he knows it or not, and I think he does, he's a Marxist. So I've given you four strong reasons, all of them cited. All of them are the greatest thinker. Sorry, I, I know I know people that are partial. I, I like uh, Chesterton's essay, essayism. Lots of one-liners are great, but he just he's in the Fabian Society, so this this Chesterton on economics is is bad bad news. And it's there's lots of Catholic theologians and Catholic philosophers. He's not really either. Just kind of, he's kind of a Catholic essayist that write things that don't get incorporated into Catholic teaching, right? That are good writers otherwise. Not everything a Catholic theologian or philosopher or essayist says is Catholic teaching. Sometimes they're kind of on their own. Chesterton and Hilar Belloc are on their own. And they're, they're, but they're not all on their own. They've got Francis and, um, and, and uh, fa- you know, Father, Father Martin, James Martin S.J. Is it James? James Martin, right? Wait, what's his name? Yeah, the the guy we did the show on the I'm forgetting his first name. They they're on the side of uh, redistributionism. They love that, but it's not Catholic. It's uncatholic, and I've just showed you four reasons why. God bless you guys. Speaking of subsidiarity, get to a balkanized place. Get to a red state. Get out of your blue state. Go to realestateforlife.org to do so. Get to the broad blood-red swath of states between Texas and Florida. Do so today. Go to realestateforlife.org. God bless you guys. Things are moving along. It's February. I'm feeling good. We got Steph's book out today. Go get this. My book only came out a couple months before it. Buy these together. Today you were being reminded how potent and how relevant my first book, Catholic Republic, is. Go get this on Amazon.com. Don't Go to College, which is a revolution book, will be out in August on Regnery. I, I, I'm feeling good, people. Spring's going to come early this year. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.